The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here's your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. So wonderful to have you. If you're somebody that I've met recently, maybe at the Vegan Spirituality Retreat in Pennsylvania last weekend, welcome, welcome, and welcome to everybody. Now, this is the Main Street Vegan Show, and I'm kind of a Main Street person. We're here on Unity Online Radio, which is a church, but It's not your grandma's church. I mean, just think about it. This is a station that invited on a show called Main Street Vegan. They asked for this. They're very, very cool, very liberal kind of people. In fact, I think one of the more traditional conservative people who has anything to do with the unity movement and who has anything to do with the vegan movement would probably be me. I mean, I'm middle-aged, maybe, maybe I'm beyond middle-aged, but that's not a word I like to use, so we'll just say middle-aged. I'm from the Midwest, and you know what I'm going to do this Friday? I am going to stand in a horrific line in Central Park for, I don't know, six hours to get to see the Pope. You know what? That's just me. Now, vegans are on this very broad thoroughfare of Main Street. We cover all kinds of ways of seeing life, and we come together at this intersection of kindness and sanity and health. And a lot of people say, oh, you vegans, you're just a bunch of hyper-liberals and tree-huggers. And I think sometimes I work too hard to say, no, we're not, no, we're not, and here I'm going to bring somebody on the show who's none of that. But you know what? It is a broad thoroughfare. And so today, interestingly enough, it just worked out that I'm going to be bringing you both a hyper-liberal and a tree-hugger, two different people. Do we get you everybody on the Main Street Vegan Show? Yes, we do. Now, I'm going to start with tree-hugger. Now, I'm going to tell you who's coming on next, and that's Jamie Kilstein of Citizen Radio. I know, I know, you've waited for him because he's famous and stuff. That'll be fun. And Jack Gescheit is our first guest. Now, I want to tell you about Jack. Jack is not a tree hugger because that's a word that people who don't like environmentalists like to use for environmentalists. He really does hug trees literally, and he encourages other people to hug trees and to do it without any clothes on. Is this the vegan your mother warned you about or the vegan Rush Limbaugh warned you about? I don't know. It depends on who the influence is in your life. 
But Jack has an amazing, amazing work in the world, project in the world. It's called the Tree Spirit Project. This is environmental art. He is an art photographer, and he uses this gift to raise awareness of the critical role that trees and forests play in our lives, both globally and personally. He's been a professional photographer since 1987, raised in New York, and now lives in the San Francisco Bay area. Welcome, Jack Gescheit. Thank you, Victoria. Great to be here. Hey. Well, it's wonderful to have you. And I know just before the show, you were telling me that you are about to celebrate your one-year vegan anniversary. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And when I was playing around that, I think, you know, environmentalists and, and liberal comedians, that just seems like the vegan stereotype. But you said, no, you have a different vegan stereotype. What's yours? <laughs> Mine's the 1960 health food store worker. Uh, probably the first round of vegetarian, the vegan word wasn't around then, and you, you know, eats lots of vitamin pills, it smells like a vitamin shop, you're really, really thin, and you have really long hair, and you probably don't bathe much because, you know, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one, because I actually remember stores like that. I remember when I first went vegetarian, and this would have been, oh my gosh, 1969, Ooh, I picked up a can of pretend hamburger, and there was this circle of dust where the can had been, and it was pretty scary, but we've come a long way. Now, tell me about you. Tell me about how you are a different sort of environmentalist. Well, I guess I would also say I'm a different type of vegan because it's only since uh, October when I actually just saw the trailer for the documentary film I'm sure your viewers know called Cowspiracy. And then, uh, long story short, I ended up speaking to the producer. I hosted uh, a screening through Tug.com, met Will Tuttle, and the whole vegan world opened up to me in a different way. And uh, for me, being a tree advocate, a forest advocate, a self-proclaimed environmentalist, as, you know, many, many people are these days who are not vegan. I couldn't reconcile the two. I can't stand up and say I advocate for trees and forests and their importance in our lives, you know, globally as far as rainforest, and then also personally, we'll get into that later, but do that and then also be a meat eater because, you know, Cowspiracy spells it all out. What's the number one cause of global deforestation, folks? Well, yeah, that's right, animal agriculture. So, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I would call myself an environmentalist and not really know that, how profound that connection is. Um, And and so many don't. And and it's wonderful. Cowspiracy is now on Netflix. Wahoo, that's a great news flash of, of the past week or so. So more and more people will be able to see that. So tell us, Jack, about the Tree Spirit Project. What is that? Um. Yeah, that's a great question, and I still struggle with the answer. Um, it's what you said in a sentence or two. It's it's my way of raising awareness about the, the crucial role trees play in our lives, both um, globally in the obvious ways is, uh, you know, forests are not the only, but one of the primary lungs of the earth, and they do so much for us so often on a global scale. It's kind of, they're, they're the, the background or the the water to the fish in the sea that we're not even aware of most times. And then in addition, there's a very strong personal, uh, spiritual component of trees being important in most humans' lives. Not everyone is a tree person, and not everyone lives near forests and trees, but most of us do. Seventy percent of the um, Earth's land animals live in forests, for instance. And there was a recent study confirming that, indeed, we powerful, industrious humans have cut down about half of the Earth's forests. Uh, since our reign on Earth, R-E-I-G-N. Mm-hmm. So I'm here to make beautiful pictures of people um, communing with trees, connecting with trees at an emotional level. Uh, and I have a large body of work for over 10 years, the Tree Spirit Project, and it, it's kind of my platform. It's an emotional expression, but then it's my platform to speak to the issues uh, in, including apparently now veganism, but that that's kind of new to the table for me, and I'm still kind of dealing with it, and we can get into that as well. Well, if anybody wants to see some of the photographs, you can go to the website, treespiritproject.com. They're also on Facebook at Tree Spirit Project, and I will put all this information in the show notes. 
So how many people ha- have participated as, as models but not professional models in the Tree Spirit Project? Uh, good question. Collectively, I guess, I guess just a few thousand, um, meaning I haven't done photographs with more than hundreds of people in them. Uh, that that may come. Uh, I've actually because I'm from I, I'm in California now, but I come from New York originally for the first uh, 35 years of my life, and I would love to do a photograph. Actually, if people know the Literary Walk in Central Park, the American Elms uh, are often used in movies, and I've just I've envisioned a, a tree spirit photograph there on a very large scale for many years. I have a tree spirit book that's now in the works, and kind of with that, if that comes out at the end of next year. I'd love to stage a large um, <laughs> tree spirit photograph back in my old stamping grounds in New York uh, in Central Park. Ah, oh, well, welcome home. So yeah. you also have a documentary film in the works. What's that about? Well, th- that is ongoing, which is to say I've got different video crews have been filming me for the last few years whenever I make a large uh, political, what I call a political photo, uh, and that's where a specific tree or a group of trees or forest is being threatened, usually by development, usually by our collective unconsciousness as a society, just as we are, well, we're kind of worse than unconscious about animals. We hide what we do with animals, otherwise people would, you know, most people would quit eating meat tomorrow if they could, as the saying goes, see um, slaughterhouses with glass walls, right? Um, and... So there's no release date on that. It's just uh, accruing footage, and we've got a trailer on the website, treespiritproject.com, like you said. And, you know, that's uh, the money game with documentary film. So it's uh, oh. in, the, in the works, but no, but no set date. Okay, but even the trailer is, is just beautiful. And you have another short video uh, at uh, treespiritproject.com that doesn't directly have to do with tree spirit, but I have to tell our listeners, it is the most adorable raccoon rescue video you will ever want to see in your life oh my goodness timmy and charlie yeah wow my my daughter is a wildlife rehabber so that's very close to my heart and that's a beautiful thing that you and your wife are doing out there with the raccoons yes amy is uh and i are both I mean, there's the contradiction, right? I just keep going back to it. I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, describing myself as a vegan, and most people don't know what that word means. Oh, are you, are you from the planet Vega? Is that what that means? <laughs> and maybe so that term su- is changing now. But, yeah, I'm surprised yeah, we, that we you still think- get that in California. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, I was just reading. I think it's 5% of the U.S. population by one study, I think it was a Harris poll, that are vegetarian and half of those, so about 2.5% vegan. So that's... You know, it depends on how you look at it. These are a tiny number or a huge number, considering that's a relatively explosive growth, as, as you, as a longtime vegan, know. Oh, absolutely. And if you put us all in a stadium, we wouldn't fit. So Well, I also, <laughs> I, I met Will Tuttle, and i got to say I'm inspired by the man, because I've already had, you know, again, the topic that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, which is the frustration of, like, did you know that so-and-so, and you give them whatever the horrible statistic, there's, you know, a boatload of them, and they, oh, I don't want to know, or that's not true, they fight back, or you can't be healthy, or this or that. And I, I'm, in some ways, a great advocate for, for not eating, or for better yet, for having a plant-based diet, or rather put it in the positive, because I'm so new to it. And, you know, I remember, God, 20 years ago, living in New York, and I had a, a friend, Melissa, who was just, you know, way out in front of me and said, Jack, you know, that's disgusting in what you're eating. And it's like, oh, F you, you know, hello, I love you, F you, a New Yorker's hello, right? Yes. Um, and just, you know, back off with the criticism and, and just feeling, for, feeling, experiencing firsthand how yelling at someone and telling them how wrong they are is not really the best way to get someone to change and open their mind. So I've got to do it. Uh, I've, I've been recently on... I didn't know there was a world of, of nude cruises. Uh, a company called um, uh, com has invited me to uh, speak about my work and also make pictures along the way off of cruise ships, if you can imagine this. And, you know, I've, I'm speaking to a relatively conservative audience, and it's not that simple, but many of them don't know about this. And if I start saying you shouldn't eat meat, well, they'll start walking out of the, the talk. So the way I frame it is, if you eat meat like me, Jack did, for 50 years of my life, three times a day, certainly two times every day, just kind of unconsciously because it's, the, it's there, and if you cut to two or three times a week instead of two or three times a day, it's a huge difference, a 75% drop in it, and it won't freak out your mind, not even so much your body, but your mind, and you'll be healthier, 
and you do the planet a huge favor in not consuming so many resources, and, you know, on and on and on. I mean, again, the, the huge three reasons why to be a veganism, the environmental concerns, the ethical, ethical concerns, and then the health concerns. My, my challenge has been i am got a great healthy body, and I can kind of eat what I want and get away with it. So that's not that wasn't it for me. It was the environmental component, and then, of course, the ethical component when I chose to face it and actually understand what I was doing and how unconsciously I was doing it, which we're, you know, conditioned to do in this society. Well, I am so, so happy to hear that you're like the Buddha and you woke up. Uh, when yeah. uh, Martin Rowe of, of Brighter Green teaches the environmental class for Main Street Vegan Academy, he explains how the environmental movement and, and the animal rights movement come from really opposing views, um, with the environmental movement being more conservation and outdoorsy and Teddy Roosevelt, where animal rights was more kind of, you know, feminine and, you know, oh, we really like the animals. And, and to bring those together at this point in time when they're absolutely intersecting because of, of global warming and, and all the rest it's an interesting union, and you're helping to make it happen. So tell us very quickly, how can people support the Tree Spirit Project? Uh, well, uh, the, the website is hard to remember, treespiritproject.com. You can just go to Ooh. Tree Spirit. You can Google Tree Spirit, or if you prefer, naked people in trees. That'll take you right <laughs> to my website as well. Love it's my it. number one phrase there. But um, people can sign up for an email to turn and learn more about it. People can participate if they love the photographs. And, you know, for a select few, they go, oh, my God, those are gorgeous. I want to be in one of those photographs. I lead people on trips to the giant sequoia trees of California, uh, the giant uh, sequoias experience, I call it. That's on the website as well. And then um, I do not take any advertising. I am uh, completely donation-based. So if people like what I'm doing and like my advocacy work, they can donate to the Tree Spirit Project. Um, and currently I'm involved in another, it's a whole other topic, uh, but there's a push out here in California to kill hundreds of thousands of eucalyptus trees, which came from, were brought here from California 150 years ago. And it, it gets into the topic of invasion biology, which, like eating animals, is something that, you know, you can repeat a lie so many times it is perceived as the truth. Mm. And well, it's a longer topic, but it's it's a bias, and it takes us to a wonderful book. Last thing, The Nature of Prejudice by Gordon W. Allport, How the Human Mind Works. It was a book I discovered in college. I've recently been led to rediscover it, and all this is on my website uh, on okay. my various pages. Um, so thank you for asking, and oh, <laughs> pardon yeah. the big output of information there. Okay, and we'll, we'll put all this in the sh- uh, show notes as well, this book uh, and everything. Jack Gescheit, treespiritproject.com. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day out there in California. Thank you so much, Victoria. Pleasure. Thank you, and everybody else, stay with us, because we're going to bring on somebody who's funny and smart and uh, right here. Can't do better than that. Stay with us. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? 
Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, lovely listeners. Welcome back to the show. It's always a special, special treat. Excuse me. When I have someone right here at my dining room table, and not only someone, but someone funny and somebody holding my dog. (laughs) Now, I already told you that my guest is someone who sees life from the left side of things, and my dog is named Forbes. And they have totally become bonded and friends. And that's what we need to do in the world. We need to get everybody to love everybody. And I know that sounds like the 60s, but, you know, there was an awful lot that was right about the 60s for anybody that was alive then or wish they were. Jamie Kilstein is the host of Citizen Radio. He has a book called News Fail, which is coming out in paperback, and it has a chapter on being vegan. He did the best-selling chart-topping CD, What Alive People Do, reviewed in Rolling Stone, and it topped the iTunes comedy chart. And he has a brand-new CD that is coming. It doesn't even have a name yet. That's how new it is. You can get it on pre-order. He'll tell us all about that. He's an MMA fighter, a boxer, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, but I'm not afraid to sit next to him anyway because I know they all have codes of honor, all these fighters. Now, Jamie made his TV debut on Conan, and he has a problem. His problem is he is more famous in the regular world than he is in the vegan world. And what I say to that is Brad Pitt has the same problem, <laughs> but he doesn't mind. Welcome, Jamie Kilstein. Hi, everybody. Hey, it's so cool to have you. If anybody happens to be listening live instead of listening to the podcast, and you want to give us a call at 888-558-6489, you can talk to Jamie. You can talk to me, and you can talk to Forbes, but he might not say much. So, Jamie, welcome to the show. You are a vegan, of course. Yes, yes. And a totally funny guy. So which came first? Were you funny or were you strange? Um, I was strange. I think that uh, I was totally strange. Um, and usually if, if me and you weren't friends and there was the option of, for example, uh, playing with uh, Forbes, your dog, and not talking to anybody, that is what I would choose. Um I, I think a lot of really funny people and really creative people and artists, um, they started off that way as like a defense mechanism, not to start all serious for this interview, but I definitely did. Um, I wasn't like the funny kid or like the class clown. I think a lot of times the class clown that you think of in high school, a lot of times, at least in my experience, they were kind of mean uh, and kind of more like bullies and just sort of, you know, privileged dudes who would just shout stuff. Um, whereas like the really funny creative people, the really good writers were people who sort of disappeared and used that as an escape. You know, like I know before I knew how to fight or anything, not that I would fight, but, um, I used humor as a defense mechanism where I'm like, well, you're bigger than me and you're meaner, but maybe I can be clever or maybe I can like charm my way out of this or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm, Still very, very, very strange. Uh, I'm usually actually pretty quiet uh, in conversation off stage. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, when I meet like 
conservative relatives who don't know what I do. And they're like, tell me a joke. I just like, I panic. Um, I totally panic and I just like walk away. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think good art comes from awkwardness and I think awkwardness should be, uh, embraced. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of the really sweet, smart people who are always the most self-conscious and always the sort of saddest. Um, when in reality, it's like, they're the most unique and they're the most, um, special. And, you know, it sucks that they're the ones that get bummed out while these sort of generic bullies get to run the country and corporations and, you know, all that stuff. I think that's lame. Well, I'm really interested in in how humor happens because I've been speaking for a long time and I've always been kind of lighthearted about it. But in the past few years, I've really noticed a lot more humor coming in and I see that it's kind of formed out of what went on in the past 36 hours and that just in the day or so before I'm going to speak, things appear more ironic and they have more Mm -hmm. to do with the audience I'm about to address. And this humor is birthed. How does it work for you? I don't know. I mean, usually for me, a lot of times it's just sort of like, you know, it's spotting the thing that doesn't belong. Right. So whether it's like, observational comedy or whatever, um, where it's like, what's that, that thing that sort of bugs me about this that maybe, um, you know, other people have noticed, but haven't said like for me, uh, it's politics. So with politics, um, and with social issues and stuff like that, um, I'm always kind of looking for the hypocrisy. Um, and you know, through that, through those contradictions, you sort of start to, find humor. And to be honest, like I'm still using the defense mechanism that I did when I was a kid and when I was getting picked on and stuff like that, where these are really serious issues I talk about. Um, I mean, if you just look at like the tracks on my new album, like it's about like the NRA, it's about bigotry, it's about, um, you know, sexists, it's about, um, things that don't sound funny and they're not funny. Um, but if you attack the right people, so instead of, like a lot of comedians do attacking the victims or, you know, making fun of vegans or making fun of women or, you know, being homophobic or racist or whatever. Um, if you attack the bad guys, um, you're still sort of using it as self-defense, as a way to, you know, I'm never going to be able to confront Mike Huckabee about his bigotry, but we can tear him apart on the show or in the book and we can make other people that these politicians sort of hurt through their bigotry, feel better and laugh at it um, instead of just feeling like they're being picked on. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Now, I grew up with parents who believed that you should take kids everywhere. So they took me out to nightclubs and places, and I heard a lot of comedians uh, as, as a child. And in those days, everything and everybody was fair game. Is it scary to stand up in front of an audience these days and know that you could say the wrong thing? I mean, it's not when you're coming from like, not to like sound all high and mighty, but it's not if you're coming from like a decent place, right? Like there was a time when, when I started comedy, um, I was just trying to say the most shocking thing possible. Right. And even though I considered myself like left wing, Um, whether it was sexist, whether it was, you know, I told myself it wasn't because I was like, well, I'm being ironic or whatever, but you'd say a shocking word or you'd make a shocking statement to offend people on purpose. And what you see nowadays, whenever stand-up comedy is brought up in the mainstream, whether it's Jerry Seinfeld complaining about, you know, being, uh, you know, not doing well at a college because he said he did a, a cheesy gay joke that bombed. So instead of saying, you know, I wrote a bad joke or a hacky joke, it was the audience and it was the PC police and it was their fault. Or, you know, something that I got involved in uh, when I went on TV to talk about it is you have a very famous comic, uh, Daniel Tosh, who makes a rape joke. And, and it's not even a joke. It was just like a horrible statement. He like screamed at an audience member. And, you know, then I go on TV and I say, well, I don't think that's very funny. He can say it. He has the free speech to say it. You have the free speech to be sexist. I have the free speech to call you sexist. It works both ways. And, you know, uh, he gets another show and nothing happens to him. He doesn't get in trouble. But you still have this narrative that, like, people are trying to censor these comedians. When in reality, Jerry Seinfeld's going to be fine. Daniel Tosh is going to be fine. 
uh, the woman who he was screaming the rape stuff at left crying. You know, that is horrible. And so to me, if you are the reason that I would say they're shocking things is because I didn't want to bomb. And the scariest thing for a comedian isn't to get booed uh, or isn't to get written about. The scariest thing for a comedian is silence, mm. right? So if I'm not good at writing good jokes, but I can say something shocking that gets an audience to go, oh, and then I can go, oh, what, you guys aren't tough enough, what, you guys, or whatever, then that's still a reaction. And I get to trick myself and be like, well, I'm George Carlin because George Carlin was offending people. It's like, well, right. But George Carlin was going after really big uh, institutions. You know, Bill Hicks was going after institutions. Um, and I think that's the difference is I think these people that these comedians who make really cheap joke at the expenses of minorities, like, I don't understand how you can say or think that you're an edgy comedian by being sexist in America. Like there's nothing safer than being sexist in America. You know what I mean? Like you look at the way we treat women, uh, in America, it's pretty easy to be sexist. It's not like a big edgy, you know, you're not Richard Pryor, uh, for doing that. So who are the greats? Who do you think are, are the people who have really understood comedy superbly? Who would you listen to? I mean, I think it's people who are honest. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's like, I find a lot more truth in writing and in music. Um, I just happen to be decent um, at comedy. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Bill Hicks was a big influence on me. Um, you know what it was? Bill Hicks didn't teach me necessarily how to write a joke, um, but it was the first time I heard somebody be political in my language. So I dropped out of high school. Um, I didn't go to college and I was very self-conscious um, about being dumb, uh, even though I knew I was political and like, I knew I was like empathetic enough to be like, Oh, well don't be homophobic or don't be sexist or whatever. But I didn't really have like the book smarts to back it up. And, you know, now, now I can go on, I've literally been on TV with like Nobel prize winners and and all this stuff. And it's because of comedians like George Carlin and Bill Hicks and, and, and Al Franken. I remember Al Franken was the first political book I read because when I was, I met Cornell West, um, who's great. I mean, this audience probably knows him either politically or from the church. Uh, but I met Cornell West and I asked him, I was like, you know, what's the best advice you'd give to a writer? And he said, read voraciously. And there was part of me that I'm like, I need to figure out what voraciously means. And I figured it out. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I know I'm left wing. So I'm going to like read Noam Chomsky, but I'm, you know, a high school dropout. So I go to like read Noam Chomsky and I'm like, who's East Timor? Like, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I don't have like the basic knowledge. Um, but then I listened to Bill Hicks and George Carlin and they were talking about these political issues. Bill Hicks was talking about the war, but it was a language I understood because I didn't understand academic language, but I did understand humor. I did understand making jokes about really hard things to joke about. And that sort of gave me the tools to start reading books. And when my now partner and, and co-host of Citizen Radio and co-author of Newsfail, Allison Kilkenny, when we went on the road, she would read books to me when I drove. Um, you know, we lived out of our car for like two years, um, probably like eight years ago. And uh, she would read books and I would zone out of the political books. And we finally found Al Franken's book before he became senator um, and Michael Moore. And both of them used humor, but it was more political than Bill Hicks ever was, right? Or it was more political than George Carlin. The focus was politics, but they had funny voices. Um, so when we started reading Michael Moore and Al Franken, I was like, I get it now. Like, I actually started to understand politics um, because of that. So I thought that was really cool. I think nowadays when people hear stand-up comedy, um, a lot of people who would like me don't go to comedy clubs because they think of, like, white dudes telling rape jokes, two drink minimums, brick walls, black and white headshots of, like, coked-out 80s prop comics. And people don't want that. Smart people don't want that. But there are such funny writers and there are such funny uh, showrunners who, who, who do really great TV shows. Um, you know, to me nowadays, like, I would rather read Sarah Vowell or watch a Jill Soloway show or, you know, whoever, um, than go to, like, a comedy club necessarily. Mm. 
Well, the only time we ever go to a comedy club is about twice a year when Dick Gregory, who's what, 86? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really up there. But, but he, he comes to town, and it's sort of half comedy, half philosophy. Oh, yeah. And everybody is just completely enraptured. We, <laughs> we had him on our show. And he, we, we were an hour show. We did an hour and a half. And I think we asked two questions. And I mean that in the most loving way possible, where it's like, he just goes. Mm-hmm. And he's brilliant. And he just goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like him a lot. It's pretty wonderful. Back in the day, um, he was saying things. I mean, he wrote that book, Dick Gregory's Natural Diet for Folks to Eat, because mm-hmm. he fasted so much, yep. <laughs> largely yep. for political reasons that he had to be clear in his book. It was like for everybody else who actually chewed so mm-hmm. you are you are vegan, mm-hmm. and you said here on your list of questions, veganism restrict, rejected by mainstream liberal. Huh? We thought that was the stereotype. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, so this is something I've noticed because, you know, Allie and I are definitely more well-known um, among, I guess, mainstream liberals or political liberals um, more than we are the vegan community. Um we care a lot. It's probably the issue that I'm most passionate about. Um, and we talk about it often on the show, even when we don't talk about it. Um, we actually end up converting a ton of people just even when we don't talk about it because they respect us um, and they know we're vegan. Um, every time I get a chance to wear a vegan shirt on TV, I will do that. Uh, you know, we're very like hardcore, but what I notice is. A lot of um, mainstream vegans, um, so like people who will play all the conferences and stuff like that, a lot of them are so used to preaching to the choir, um, and a lot of them aren't, but a lot of them get used to that, that they kind of keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and then they end up alienating people. And that's the most negative way I can say it. The most positive way I can say it is this is the majority of people refuse to even find out where their food comes from and will not watch a video if you post about what actually happens in the factory farms and won't read a book and won't listen to you and will just shout, where do you get your protein, and then run away. Um, And so animal rights activists, I'm really empathetic with them, and and, and I don't call myself an activist because I'm not on the street um, flyering or doing undercover operations. I do what I can. Um, I'm really empathetic for them because they see this every day. Me and your Facebook feed or Instagram feed are very, very different than most liberals. My in, be, being on Instagram as a vegan, it's like really good food and then horrific animal abuse, <laughs> and it's a nightmare. And so I think a lot of these people they get they feel crazy because even though we're the ones who are called preachy, I promise I'll get to an answer. Even though we're the ones that are called preachy. Every billboard is for burgers. Every commercial is for bacon or pizza. You know, you never, uh, every time you go home, like, you know, some uncle is like going bacon and waving it in front of your face. You never see like a vegan going like tofu to like meat eaters. Like that doesn't happen. We aren't the preachy ones. We're the ones who are just like quietly being like, is there anything vegan here? Can we eat it? Um, And so I understand how a lot of activists and people in the community they just get so frustrated that they just start shouting and yelling. And I, I think we should shout and I think we should yell. The problem is a lot of mainstream organizations and a lot of vegans I see on Twitter will say things that are sexist or racist or classist or um, fat shaming. And I see, because I follow so many people in the mainstream uh, community, I see what happens. And what happens is this. You guys are not the racist ones, but you're right when it comes to veganism. You're right about how important it is. You're right when it comes to the facts. The problem is mainstream liberals, conservatives don't want to become vegan, right? Because I don't care about converting. I mean, that's not true. Uh, but there are some who do. But I, I'm not concerned about converting the guy who's calling me, like, gay on Twitter. Like, I don't think that guy's going to have uh, suddenly like a turnaround where he wants to do better for animals. You know what I mean? Like he, he doesn't care if I'm vegan because he assumes like being gay and vegan are the same and he doesn't care. Uh, and he assumes I already am. But liberals, our biggest issues are what? Climate change. Um, we care about workers' rights. Um, all of us bloggers have cats. Um, we, the, the, uh, a global hunger, right? 
These are all issues we care about. So liberals actually get more defensive when it comes to veganism because they kind of know that they talk about these issues and they should back them up, right? They kind of know how important veganism to the, it is to the cause, um, the causes that they care about, but they have to make what they see as a sacrifice. And that's why they get so defensive. Republicans don't care. Um, some of them, not all of them, I guess. Um, but a lot of liberals, that's why they get more defensive. I've gotten more hate mail and stalkers and stuff like that from liberals who I've called out, not from conservatives. So what happens is, let's say an animal rights organization puts out a very sexist commercial. Um, I see, and this isn't right, I don't agree with it, but I see mainstream liberals, feminists, people who we should be converting because in theory, if liberals act with empathy, um, then we are the ones who should be the most empathetic towards like the plight and suffering of animals, right? So these are the people who are the most likely to get converted, in my opinion. And what happens is someone puts out a really sexist ad and I see all of these mainstream, great on feminism, great on other issues, people suddenly tweeting, well, you know, screw PETA or I'm going to go eat a steak or I'm going to do this. Um, and they get, they use that as their excuse. They use that as their excuse where suddenly it's not about being vegan. It's about this organization. And they think that those two are the same. I've seen vegans who aren't part of an organization when um, Ferguson happened, when, you know, there are literally black people in the street shouting for their lives because they feel like they're, their children are in danger from police brutality. Not the time to be like, all animals matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's a time to, like, be the empathetic person we know you are because you're vegan. Show support for them. And then when that stuff dies down, you talk about whatever. Or you talk about it and you don't relate it. It doesn't have to be a contest. It doesn't have to be, like, the suffering Olympics where it's like, oh, people are mad about racism, I better throw in something about animals. No, you don't have to. You should also be mad about racism. You should also be mad about sexism. You should also be mad about homophobia. And you should also be mad about what's being done um, to animals. So I hate seeing good, smart animal rights activists. I hate seeing them give ammo to hypocritical liberals. I swear to God, you guys, this speech was about hypocritical liberals. It wasn't to make you feel bad. It was nothing makes me more mad than giving them ammunition because I can't defend when an animal rights organization is racist or when they're sexist or when they're fat shaming. I can't defend that. I can say, well, I don't support that organization, I guess, anymore. I did, but I don't anymore. Um, but here are the reasons to go vegan and people have already shut off. You know, it's a people have a really personal relationship with food and you have to be not gentle because I don't want people to stop shouting in the streets and stop these undercover operations and stop like, you know, I think that stuff's so important. So I'm not saying like tone down and wait for people to come to you. But what I am saying is like, don't attack the people who are, could be on your side. Man, that was such a long answer. You guys, nothing funny about that. Now that was a good answer. Well, since you're already into not funny, let's mm -hmm. go to really, really not funny. I'm in. And let's talk about depression. Great. Now this is something you've experienced. Yep. I mean, uh, my first husband, he, he died of depression. Yeah. He took his own life. Uh, your good friend, Robin Williams, mm -hmm. uh, met that fate after helping you a lot with what you were going through. So yep. talk about that. I mean, I think it's something that a lot of people don't think they have or they don't think it's serious or they blame themselves, you know, where it's just like, well, I got to, you know, we're very like, alpha country where it's like, you got to man up or you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think a lot of, um, you know, men, a lot of everybody they they just kind of feel stupid. I felt really stupid saying I'm sad, uh, especially when things were going well. Um, I think people with depression, I know with Robin from what he did with me and from what I heard from a lot of his other friends. Um, and when I was depressed, we're really good at helping other people. Uh, so a lot of times it doesn't, people aren't as, as concerned for us, you know, like when, you know, my wife frantically called me when it happened because she didn't want me to see it on the news. She wanted to tell me and, you know, so many people were so surprised with Robin because of his movies, because he's so cartoonish and so, uh, funny and stuff like that. And the second she said, even though he never showed signs of depression, whatever that means, uh, around me, um, the second she said he died, I was like, like, I knew it. 
like I knew how, I, I knew it was either that or something with like substances, uh, which I've also not. Uh, yeah, I guess I did struggle with it, um, but I'm sober now and it's easy and fun. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I don't really know how to. I think that we as a society, again, and this goes back to like being empathetic, just need to be like, more open to like listen to people and to make people feel like they're supported and to, I mean, man, you like go on Twitter and you see the comments of like uh, a, a trans woman was like, you know, assaulted by the TSA and you'd think that would be something that would all go, oh man, that's terrible. And you look at some of those comments, like, you know, they were asking for it. She was asking for it. And the same thing happens to women who are assaulted. You know, we don't, we don't say, are you okay? Or we don't say, where could the guy who assaulted you be? We go, well, what were you wearing? Like it was, you know, that's what you get for being out of place and wearing things like, you know, we're, we're so quick to blame the victims. Um, and a lot of times in depression, it's even sneakier because it's hidden, right? Like, a lot of people who have depression, like I was never, uh, assaulted. Like I definitely like had like alcoholism in my family and like struggled with that, but like nothing triggered it. Um, and you know, I've had a hard life, but I've also had a really, really good life. So I feel dumb. Sometimes it just hits you. Sometimes, sometimes it hits me two days after, you know, I sign a record deal or go on TV and I'm like, man, I'm just like a selfish jerk. Like I don't know why. Why should I be sad? And, you know, sometimes you try to reach out to people and you say, hey, I remember when I dropped out of high school, um, there were these three teachers who knew I was struggling with, like, depression and drug stuff. And they were like, you know, if you ever need to talk to someone, you can always come talk to me. And the day I decided I was going to drop out, I go to leave. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go find these teachers. And, like, maybe they can talk me into staying and the first teacher didn't show up where he said he was going to show up. Uh, the second teacher accused me of being high when I wasn't high. And the third teacher uh, said, where are, you, where are you supposed to be right now? And I said, well, I, I just have to talk to you. And he said, stay here. I'm going to call the principal. And then I left. And actually, uh, foreshadowing to my now music career, I guess, uh, right when I went to leave, I passed the band room and I always used to, I couldn't really afford like instruments or lessons. So I would always cut class or spend my lunch in the band room, like teaching myself how to play guitar and drums and stuff. Um, and I saw my band teacher and I was like, can I just, I was like on the verge of crying or crying. And I was like, can I just like hide out in here till the end of class? And he goes, yeah, just don't tell me where you were supposed to be. Uh, and I remember I saw him years later after I'd been on TV. It was in like a Rite Aid parking lot when I was home visiting my family for the holidays. And I, I told him that story. I was like, you were the only guy there for me. And then we did the kind of like dude thing where we both were like, well, and like sort of fir- <laughs> firm handshake and then turned around and, and, and cried our separate ways. Um, but I think people like him are really important. And I think, um, you know, anyone listening to this, like, man, just asking if someone's okay or just like, not even when they're sad, just like being there for people and just like, it sounds so cheesy, but just like complimenting people. Like people need to know they're good um, and people need to know they're not screw ups. And if, if you don't have anyone to talk to you and you have depression or whatever, or even if you do have people to talk to you, like your brain is trying to, uh, to like, get all that good stuff out and, and flip it. And, and I, I catch myself doing that, you know, always looking for the negative stuff and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And, um, you know, when I was getting sober, I would call Robin or he would call me and tell me stories about like, you just forget how long Robin's been around. Like he was there when like prior was starting to get sober and talking about how weird it was when like prior was on stage and, have Robin Williams telling me about watching Richard Pryor. I was like, Oh man, this isn't crazy. And, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, he was always really soft-spoken and sweet. And, uh, like I said, would ask about me and I'd always ask about him and he would kind of brush it off. Um, which looking back, you know, I wish I did more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you guys have heard this, but if you're struggling with it, you got to reach out. 
Um, and I know it's hard and I know sometimes you feel like paralyzed and you don't want to reach out, um, or you don't want to get better, but of course you want to get better because this goes back to what I was talking about before. And I've said this on citizen radio a lot because our audience is a lot of LGBT people, a lot of feminist people, a lot of people who have struggled with depression or abuse. Um, a lot of dropouts, a lot of artists, a lot of poor people, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they're the people um, who are sad. <laughs> and like I said before, I think that's a bummer. And I think smart people, intelligent people, are going to be sad because we see um, all the terrible things around us and we pay attention and we read and we see all the suffering and we can empathize with all the suffering. So because we take so much on, um, of course we're going to get sad. And I just beg people who listen to our show not to go because like we need more people like you. Like that's what's such a bummer. It's like, there is no one like Robin. There is no one like my high school English teacher who like saved my life. Like he, uh, died too the same way years later I found out because I wanted to like tell him how good I was doing. And like, we need more people like them, you know, like both of them saved my life. Like Robin talked me out of quitting comedy and helping get sober. And, and this teacher told me that even if I drop out of high school, he told me that I was smart. Um, and he told me that I could actually be somebody. And I remember, and he gave me on the road by Jack Kerouac. And I remember all that stuff. Um, and it's the reason that I'm alive. And then they went and I don't blame them for it, but I will say if you're debating it, chances are, there's, there are a lot of people who, who look to you like I look to them. And, you know, like I said, we, we can't lose more smart, sweet, creative people. There are too many horrible people in the world. It's like you're always the ones that I want to stay. Um, and I guess the, the last piece of like kind of more pragmatic advice I'll say, if you do struggle with it, just give yourself a break. Like, man, I remember – you know, Allison was one of the first journalists down at Occupy Wall Street, and she covered it for the nation. She was out in the street every day, and she was running from cops, and she was doing interviews, and I was down there with her, and, you know, then would record the show every day, and she'd write, and I'd go do shows, and, you know, every time I would read, like, a fiction book, I felt like I was, like, a sellout. I was like, I, I have to just be, like, reading about activism, or, like, for the vegans, like, I have to be looking at pictures of, like, tortured animals. You know what I do when I see pictures of tortured animals come on my Facebook feed? I mute that so fast where I'm like, yo, I'm already a vegan. I don't need to see this like shop of horrors. Like you already have me convinced, like go put that stuff on like Justin Bieber's fan page. Like I don't need to see it. I, this is just ruining my day. Um, so now like, and I'm even more honest about it on the show and I love it. Like, man, I'm anti-corporation, but oh boy, I watched the voice and I love it. And you know, I train mixed martial arts with like fighters and I hang out with them. Like I do that twice a day. And it seems crazy because that's cutting into the time I should be practicing guitar or writing. And it, I don't care because it makes me happy. Um, I, I'm off Twitter. I don't fight on Twitter as much anymore. I used to go crazy with that. Um, and it's just like people – I didn't really discover this until I started following black Twitter, which is what they were called in the media. But they're also black Twitter. Um, and they go through so much more than I will ever go through. Um, racial profiling and police and all this stuff. Um and suddenly I see all of them like talking about scandal. We're talking about empire. And I'm like, why aren't they in the streets fighting? Oh, cause they, cause they have to do this or they're going to go crazy. Um, and I'm like, they do so much more than I do. And it was just so nice because I also follow or used to follow all of these kind of like, you know, trust fund white bros, uh, who were like anarchists in the street and will show up to like break a window and then leave and go back to mommy's house. And they're the ones that'll call you a sellout for watching Scandal, right? I got called a sellout for going on Conan. And I'm like, yo, I went on Conan. I talked about the war. I talked about drone strikes. I'm not even allowed back. I wore like a vegan shirt. And I'm like, and you're going to call me a sellout? Like there are some people who will never be happy unless I was like, this is Citizen Radio broadcasting live from a box in an alley. Where it's like, oh, you just don't want people to succeed. Like you're just projecting. That's cool. But I think like, yeah, guys, like if you need to take a break and you need to watch some new girl, which just got syndicated and I'm so happy, um, then like do it. Um, it'll make you a better activist. It, it, it's not being apathetic or lazy. It's giving yourself a break and just recharging. Um, and then 
yeah, then you're just like battery charged. You are amazing. Oh, thank you. Really? I felt like I just talked too much. No, no. You got me all inspired oh, and good. pumped up and also excited because the new season of Empire is starting again. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Nashville? Oh, my God. Oh, yes, yes, Nashville. I'm going to talk to both of those, <laughs> yeah, actually. See, we have so much in common. Oh, speaking of Nashville, I got my cat Mendenhall vegan cowboy boots oh, last oh week. Oh, my God. Catmendenhall.com. They are so fabulous. You so see, cool. you can kick ass at the country club and be vegan, too. Yeah, I got that vegan is boots, what huh? you mean by having it all. So, where do we find you? Where do you find the show? Where do yes. we find everything? Okay, so, so I'll go really quick. So okay. Twitter is at Jamie Kilstein, Facebook, Jamie Kilstein, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, my Instagram, at VeganMMA. Um, the album, which is the thing I'm the most proud of, um, it's at Pledge Music. Uh, it's Pledge Music, and you can look up Jamie Kilstein. I'll send you the link. Um, but yeah, I'm doing, uh, you can pre-order the album now. Um, if you pre-order it, you get access to all these behind-the-scenes videos. So I'm doing, like, vegan cooking videos. I'm doing stuff at the studio. I'm interviewing other athletes. Um, just all sorts of different stuff. Um, you can buy – I just made a vegan fighter T-shirt where it's a picture of me choking someone out. It says vegan fighter on the top. And on the bottom, it says, ask me where I get my protein again. Um, so you can buy that with the album. Um, and it's a way to support independent music. I had a bunch of labels that wanted to sign me. And I'm not going to sign until the album is done. So they can't tell me not to be political. Um, and so I'm going to talk about all the issues that I talked about here. But I'll make them funny. And they'll be like, boom and guitar and a band. Love it. Jamie, bless your heart. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Jack Gashite and Tree Spirit Project. So, everybody... Aren't we lucky to have these people in our world? God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on this message from Daily Word. Is something in your life causing you concern? Don't be discouraged. The presence of God is peace and harmony. Healing and creative ideas is with you every moment of every day, providing the help you need. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. You are a spiritual being, blessed with all that you need for happiness and fulfillment. God's wisdom will guide you. God's strength will help you do all that you need to do. And God's joy will lighten your heart with hope and courage. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. 
joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down. <laughs>